Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We are in week three of a series called Free. We've been looking at a section of scripture that reminds us of the mystery that is so, you know, something that is a mystery to many of us as Christians. The New Testament is basically divided up into three parts. And the three parts are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you have Acts, which is the Acts, A-C-T-S, of the Apostles. That's basically what happened after Jesus left, the church gets started, and, and kind of how did the church get started, and what were the, 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 you know, there were some struggles, there were some conflicts, there were some things that they had to work out, and what were those? Acts talks about some of that. And then we get the Epistles. The, the Epistles are letters that Jesus' followers received from some of the Apostles as they, after the church got started, especially Paul when all around the Mediterranean Rim, he, he starts all these churches, and then after he starts it, it's, I mean, it's amazing when you think about the fact that Paul went into these cities, he didn't probably know very many people, all he has is the message of Jesus, he walks into this city, sometimes with a friend uh, or two, and maybe he might have an acquaintance there, but not a lot of people that did he know, and by the time he left that city, he had established a church. Think about you or me trying to do that, how hard that would be. He didn't do it once or twice. He did it all over the Mediterranean Rim. We talked about this on Easter, how he traveled somewhere between nine and 11,000 miles by, by donkey, by foot, or by boat. Um, all the stuff that he went through, it's, it's amazing to me when I start thinking about the Apostle Paul and everything he did to get the church going. And then once he got it going, he started writing to them to encourage them, to teach them, to, to, to correct them at times. You know, they would be doing something and he would say, no, you're, you're, you don't have that right. You're, you're missing something there. So, those are the three areas, the Gospels, the Acts, and the Epistles. And the guy that wrote most of the Epistles, the letters in the New Testament, as we said, was the Apostle Paul. Um, and almost half, all, in, in almost all of his letters, what you find is a pattern. He would spend the first half of his letter in a very theological posture. He, w- he would lay down a lot of theological education and teaching. He would try to communicate some things theologically. And then in the second half of his letter... Um, it would become very, very practical. So you start reading the letters of Paul, and, it, and it's not long until you run into phrases like in him or through him or in Christ. And, and, and as you kind of scan over those, because you, know, you don't really know what any of that means, and, and then you get to the middle of it and you say, oh, okay, so here's the good stuff. You know, after I've kind of navigated all this theological stuff that I don't know that I understand, now I come to the stuff where he starts telling me how to live life and Paul tells us how to live our lives, what to think, how to treat people, how husbands should treat their wives, how wives should treat their husbands, and the instruction for children. There's something for everybody. So when we read our New Testaments, we kind of wade through the, the heavy theological parts, and you know, we, we think, maybe we think, well, I'll wait till I get to church on Sunday, and maybe Brett can make sense of that for me, or maybe Brett won't know either. Or, or, you know, I'll just, I don't know what that means, but I, I know that in the second half of this letter, now he's starting to tell me kind of how to live. I didn't get the first part, all the theological stuff, but how to live, I'm going to try to do that part. So then we come to that practical stuff, and we, we because we're Christians, <laughs> we go out and we try to do it. We try to do those things that Paul says that we should try to do, and we're really good at it for about a week, Right? You know, you read it in there and you're like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I can do that. And you, you, you endeavor to persevere, right? You go out and you're trying to do all this stuff that you, you either heard me say or you read in, in the Bible that, that Paul said we should do. And then you, you come to church and you hear me say something like, you know, this is what the Bible says and God says and Jesus says. And you think to yourself, well, 
I need to do that stuff. And, you know, we, we do want to do that stuff. But you don't, and I don't, because it's really hard. It's really hard. We're, our temptation is to go a completely other direction. And then at the end of the day, we say our prayers, and our prayers kind of sound something like this. Dear God, please forgive me of all my sins, because I know what they are, because every week I go to church, and they tell me what I should and shouldn't do, and, you know, I know exactly what I'm doing wrong, so please forgive me. And and we've kind of been told that, you know, God empties our sin bucket on Sunday. I think that's kind of how we look at it. We come to church, and we pray and ask God to forgive us and he kind of empties our sin bucket and then we go out with our empty sin bucket and we go out and and we instantly start to fill that bucket up and the next day we go off and 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 one day we just keep going through that process we we fill it God empties it we fill it God empties it and one day we die and we go to heaven because that's what we've been told we gave our life to Jesus and because we gave our life to Jesus when we die we're going to heaven but when you read the epistles of Paul he's saying no 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 it's it's not It's not like that. The Christian life isn't simply doing the best you can, knowing that you're disappointing God on an hourly basis and then trying to get all your sins forgiven so you can go to heaven when you die. There's way more to it than that. Uh, Unfortunately, for many Christians, that's what they've boiled it down to. You know, is that I'm just going to struggle through life and, and hope that God loves me and hope that I've done enough by the end and maybe god will love me enough and be impressed with me enough that he lets me into heaven there's way more to it than that in fact that's not accurate at all in fact you could basically summarize what the apostle paul taught in all of his letters in this way the first is this sin doesn't control where you go when you die that's the first thing you would get from paul is that sin doesn't control where you go when you die. That, that's the part that we hear all the time. If you accept Jesus, you go to heaven when you die. And if you pray this magic prayer, even the thief on the cross at the very last minute, you know, kind of prayed the prayer and accepted Jesus and acknowledged who Jesus was. And Jesus told him, today you will be with me in paradise. And we kind of have this escape hatch prayer that we pray that if you put your faith in Jesus, you go to heaven. And unfortunately for most people, that's all there is to the gospel, and, and that's really the, the basis and the end of their Christian experience. But the Apostle Paul says that's only a part of it. In fact, that's a really small part of it. Sin doesn't control where you go when, you're, when you die. That's the first thing he would say. The second thing is this. Sin doesn't have to control what you do while you are here, while you live. So in the second part of his epistles, Paul explains, and sometimes using some very technical and theological terms, that you can actually live free from the power of sin in your life. Paul would say, you're not the person you used to be. Why would you live like the person you used to be once you've placed your faith in Christ and you've become a brand new person? He would say, he said things like this, the old has passed away, behold, all things are new. So in week one, we looked at Paul's explanation of the problem. Paul basically says, here's what I think explains our strange behavior. And I think that, you know, if you, if you, anybody that watches Christians, they would watch us and they would say, you know, their behavior is very strange. They say they're not going to do this stuff, and yet that's the stuff they do. And we'll get to that in just a minute. And last week and for the next two weeks, we've been talking about Paul's solution to the problem. I'll, I'll recap the, the problem here in a minute. But today, we're going to look again at Paul's wrestling with sin and the way he has experienced the sin problem, and then we're going to look further into his explanation as a solution 
to that problem. We're going to look for a moment at something that we can all identify with, even if you would describe yourself as a, not a person who's a religious person, or a, may, you wouldn't describe yourself as a church person. Um, we're going to look at Paul's struggle with sin, and, and you may say it like this. You, you might not like the word sin. You might say, man, I wish he would quit using the word sin. I don't like that word. Okay, let's use the word temptation. Okay, let's use the word that you struggle with temptation. Paul wrote about his struggle with temptation when he was a very religious person, um, but before he really understood who Jesus is and what he does for us. He, and so he's going to explain about this wrestling with sin and temptation. So here is his description, and I think we can all identify with this. You don't have to have gone to church your whole life. You don't have to have gone to church at all for, for me to read this and you go, oh, well, that's a guy that understands me. Because here's what Paul said, Romans 7. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Sound familiar? Don't raise your hand, okay? Don't raise your hand. Then you get to the second part of verse 18. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I, I cannot carry it out. You ever been on a diet? I mean, that's a diet right there, is it not? I, I, you know, I have a desire to do what's good, but then cheesecake comes. And, and I can't carry it out. Verse 19. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, that's your experience in life at some point, right? I mean, all of us at some point would raise our hand and say, yes, I identify with what Paul says right there. I don't understand a lot of what Paul says, but I at least get that part. That's been my experience too. I, you know, I look at my life and, and so much of my life, I would, I would be able to, all that would resonate with me. Yes, I know what I want to do. I can't seem to do those things, the things I don't want to do. That's kind of where my head and my heart gravitate, and I find myself doing that stuff. Why, oh why? We talked about last week, oh wretched man that I am. So why don't we just stop doing the stuff that we shouldn't do? Now, here's the thing. You have an answer to that question, okay? You've got an answer to that. If I were to sit down with you over lunch and say, hey, you know this thing over here that you do that you wish you wouldn't do, but you just kind of find yourself gravitating to it, and you've tried to stop, but, you know, it's hard, or here's a habit, or here's an addiction, or here's something that, that, that's driving your daughter crazy, why is it that you keep doing that thing that you shouldn't do? If I asked you that, you have an answer for that. Paul is about to give us his explanation, and he says this. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And it's here that Paul begins to give us our explanation, and he would say, I know you may not buy this, I know this might sound strange to you, but let me tell you, I hung out with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I've been with these guys. They have heard Jesus teach, and, and, and so they've kind of passed on to me some things, and I need you to understand that there is a great explanation as to why you can't seem to do what it is that you want to do or feel like you need to do, and there is a solution for the problem of you. That's kind of what we've been referring to it as, is the, the problem of you, you know, this idea that I want to be better, I want to do this, but I, 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 for the life of me, I can't seem to do the things I want to do. Paul said, here's the problem. The problem is that there really was a guy named Adam, and the entire human race was in 
Adam, that's the problem. When you were born, you were born, this, you might be far away and can't read that. That says Adam. This one says Christ. This one says Adam. But when you were born, you were born in Adam. And when Adam sinned, it is as if everyone sinned. Okay, you say, well, that's not fair. Well, I know it's not fair, but it's true. There's a lot of things that you, you see in life that aren't fair, but it doesn't mean that they're not true. And this is one of them. When you're born, you're born with a sin nature because you're born in Adam. And the reason you're born with a sin nature is because when Adam sinned, it, 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 it was put on us as well. Uh, which means that Paul would argue that you were born a sinner, that, that we, aren't, we aren't good people who occasionally do bad things. We are bad people who occasionally get it right. Now, I, let me say that again because you're going to want to push back and let me explain it. We are not good people who sometimes get it wrong. We're bad people who once in a while get it right. And I don't know how many times I've said something like that and somebody will push back. They'll say, no, Brett, I'm really, I'm not a bad person. I'm, I'm really, a, I'm a pretty good person. I just, sometimes I mess up. You know, sometimes at my core, I'm a really good person. But think about it, and it makes perfect sense. See, you can understand why a bad person would occasionally do something good. Because you can do something good in order to gain something for yourself. So if you're a bad person, but you get the right motivation to do a good thing, you might do a good thing if it could benefit you in some way. Um, you know, that, that kind of makes sense. So, of course, bad people can do good things. But here's the, here's the question. Why would a fundamentally good person ever do a bad thing? Why would a fundamentally good person ever do a bad thing? And Paul would say because there aren't really any fundamentally good people. We were all born in Adam, and we were all born sinners. That's Paul's explanation. And when, when Adam sinned, he actually brought sin into the world. Paul uses the word sin. We like to use the word sin as a verb. Paul uses it as a, as a noun, as an entity, as this thing that, that when Paul did it, or when, when Adam did it, it entered the world. And Paul talks about sin as this thing. He personifies sin. Adam brought sin into the world. When Adam sinned, we all sinned, and we were all born sinners. And sin is in us because we're in Adam. So when he talks about the struggle, you know, I can't do what I ought to do and the things that I, I, I want to do, I, I can't seem to do those things, the things I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. He says, you're wrestling with something and it's, it's, it isn't simply temptation. What you're wrestling with is a thing. It's sin. That's what you're wrestling with. And, and then he goes on to say this, that when you become a Christian, you are actually taken out of Adam and you are placed in Christ. And as we talked about last week, he said, just as it was true of Adam, it was true of you that, that Adam was a sinner, so it's true of you when you're born, you're born in Adam, you're born a sinner. He says, just the same way that's true, once you get placed in Christ, what's true of Christ is true of you. This is why we're forgiven. It's why we're acceptable to God. And it's why you can live a life that's free from sin. Because when Christ died, he died to the power of sin. And once you're placed into Christ, what was true of his past is true of us as well. Now, last week we, we kind of compared this to an international adoption. You know, a boy, a little boy in another country gets adopted by a family and they're taken out of a country, they're taken out of a state, they're taken out of an orphanage 
and they are placed into a new family. And what, of tr- what, is, what is true of that family, once that child is placed in that family, instantaneously becomes true of that child. In other words, the family now has authority over the child, not the orphanage. See, there's a point when that child has to say, well, I go to bed at this time, I eat at this time, I'm awake during these hours, I go to school at these times because this is what other people in authority tell me. But once someone adopts them from an, a, a, from an orphanage, the family, they now wear a family name, they're now a part, they're a part of this family, they, they have available to them everything that is available to the family, and there's a new authority. Now mom and dad tell me when to go to school. Now mom and dad tell me when I should go to sleep and when I'm going to eat. So, so it changes. Paul says, in the same way, you were taken out of Adam and you were placed into Christ. And what is true of Christ is now true of you. And the consequence of, <laughs> the consequence of that is that we ended up stating last week, sin is not my master. I am dead to sin, but I'm alive to God. And last week I had you kind of whisper that to yourself. We, we said that several times together. And I, it's been funny. I've gotten emails from you this week. I've gotten phone calls from you this week. Uh, people who've said, Brett, you know, it works. It works. I've been saying that to myself. And it's amazing how much I'm saying that to myself. Because uh, there's a lot of things in my world where I want to sin. And so I'm constantly saying, sin is not my master. You know, I've just been saying it over and over. Brett, I didn't realize how many times I was tempted until I started saying that same thing over and over. But it's changing the way I do things. You see, it's not just a matter of temptation or addiction or a bad habit. Paul says there is an entity called sin, and the reason you can't do what you ought to do is because you have lived your life as a slave to sin. But, but if you've been taken out of Adam and you've been put in Christ... Sin is no longer your master. It used to be. It used to be. Sin used to come, come calling, and you didn't have any choice in the matter. You basically just did whatever sin told you to do. But once you get put in Christ, that's not the case anymore. So today, we're going to take a look at two questions. Here are the two questions. So what and now what? Those are the two questions. So what and now what? So, okay, Brett, I, I, I'm not sure I buy all this. I definitely don't think I understand it all. So, so Paul has given us the backdrop of all this in Romans 6. He begins to tell us what to do with all of this crazy theology. If you've got a Bible, turn to it in Romans 6. We're going to pick up in verse 9 in just a moment. And Paul gives us a new way of thinking, okay? And I want to give you three words that are going to be basically the context of our outline today. For this text. Here are the three words, and then we'll look at the text. Here's the three words. Declare, decide, devote. 3D. Declare, decide, devote. Romans chapter 6, verse 9, here's what he says. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. In other words, Jesus has conquered sin and death. He goes on, verse 10. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. He's talking about Jesus. He says when Christ died, Christ didn't simply die to life. Christ died to the power of sin. In other words, the power of sin was broken. Sin's a very powerful thing. We've talked about that. And up until Jesus, sin pretty much ruled. We didn't really have a solution to sin. The best solution to sin we had was 
hey, you take an animal and you go kill this animal and put it on an altar and, and you know, that's the best we got. And then Jesus shows up, lives a perfect life, conquers sin and death, is raised back to, to, from the grave. And, and when we come back to life, when he came back to life, sin no longer held any attachment or any sway. Sin has suddenly been defeated. Jesus was completely free of the encumbrances of sin. He lived a perfect life, and then he broke the final power of sin. He broke death. Because remember, anywhere you see sin closely on its heels, what you find is death. Okay? You never forget that. Never forget that. Where you find sin, closely behind sin, you find death. Wherever sin goes, death is sure to follow. I, I like to use the illustration that if we you know, coated a snake with, with weed killer and turned it loose in your yard, and we let it go for a week, everywhere that snake went, you would be able to see where it went because all that weed killer would come off and get in your grass and you'd see dead grass everywhere. That's kind of a great analogy for, for what happens to us when we sin. When sin enters our world, when sin enters our relationships, when sin enters what, something that you're doing at work, bank on it, something is about to start to die and decay. That's just the way it is. So after giving us these theological and kind of confusing verses, he's going to turn a corner and he says, now here's what you got to do with this. And this is kind of where we left off last week. In the same way, verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves. Just as Jesus came up out of the grave dead to sin, you are now in Christ, and since Christ has died to sin, you must now consider yourselves dead to sin. You've got to count yourself dead to sin, because you're in Christ, who is dead to sin. So he says, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now this little word count that, they, that, that Paul uses here is, is actually an accounting term. It, it really means to consider or to accept or, or to believe or to factor in. We're going to go with the word declare. Here's what Paul's telling us. As you begin to move ahead and embrace this teaching and understand the significance of what happened to you when you were placed in Christ, and you accepted his death as payment for your sin, he says the first thing you've got to do is believe this. You've got to believe that what's true of Jesus is also true of you. So we're going to use the word declare. You need to declare sin is not my master. We talked about that last week. I had you kind of whisper that out loud. Sin is not my master. Because God says so. And in Christ, the power of sin has been broken. And regardless of how you live or whether or not you've ever experienced this, the first step is applying this beautiful truth and to believe this about yourself, that sin does not have to control you. Sin's not the master in your world. It may feel like it. You may have lived like it, but it's not true. Declare, sin is not your master. Let's say, let's say it with me one time. Ready? One, two, three. Sin is not my master. So when you encounter that this week, what's going to happen tomorrow or before you leave this room or before you get out of the parking lot and traffic's bad or, you know, if it, if it rains anymore this week? Um, all of a sudden, that thing that has controlled you for so long is going to rise up. That lust, that jealousy, that greed, that anger, that, that self-control thing that you've got, that, that area of your life that just seems to be the nemesis, that thing that keeps raising its ugly head and you're like why can i not overcome that it's going to crop up it may be before you even get out of our parking lot 
okay? You may get mad at one of your brothers and sisters because they accidentally cut you off in traffic or didn't let you go or, you know, something like that. Who knows? Don't get mad at anybody. But before you do that, what I hope you'll say is, wait, 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 wait. Sin's not my master. I, I don't have to get mad at that. I don't, I don't have to be upset with him. I don't have to be jealous. You know, that happened for them. I'm really happy. I'm happy for them. I, I'm, I, it's good that they got that. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to get angry anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to feel greedy. I don't have to feel greedy. I, I mean, I know it's been the way I've operated in the past, but it doesn't have to be that way. And you're going to act on it. You might act on that sin. You know, you might still cave into it. You might, it might still overpower you. But I at least want you to get in the habit of saying out loud, sin is not my master. I don't have to do this. Paul goes on, verse 12. Therefore, since sin is not your master, and since you are believing and counting and declaring yourself as dead to sin, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Paul says, you do realize that when you let sin reign in your mortal body, you're letting it, okay? It's not something where you're saying, well, you know, I don't have any choice in it. Sin does not reign over you. Sin, sin only reigns over you as a Christian if you let sin reign over you. And once again, Paul's kind of reminding us to see sin as this intangible, this, this kind of this personification, if you will, of sin. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Now, let me ask you a question. When you wrestle with sin, which side of the argument do you identify with? Okay, when, when you wrestle with sin, which side of the argument do you identify with? When you wrestle with sin, or if you don't like the word sin, you can use the word temptation. Which side do you kind of see yourself on see there, there's this argument and you know how this goes it, it sounds like this i shouldn't but i want to you know i want to take that but i shouldn't take that yeah I, I should i shouldn't go over there i shouldn't call them um I, i'm alone and i shouldn't turn on the tv but I, I i'm boy i'm tempted to you know there's something on there i want to see that's probably not good for me to see but man i want to you know i shouldn't but i want to when you're having that struggle, whatever your deal is, and we've all got one, when you're in that, what, which side do you identify with? Which side do you see as the you side? Let me explain. When you wrestle with sin, when you wrestle with sin from the standpoint of being in Adam, do you, or not when you, but do you, do you wrestle from sin from the standpoint of being in Adam? And here's what that sounds like. Well, nobody's perfect. You know, nobody's, I, I've always been susceptible to this. My mom had this issue, and her sister had it. And, and so, and my sister has it. And Eve had that issue. So it's not new, and I've had that issue. I can't, I can't help it. That's what it sounds like to, to be an Adam. When you say things like, well, nobody's perfect. All men are alike. I mean, we're just all wired this way. It's just normal. It's just, it's just what we do as men. That's just who we are. You can't expect us to change our stripes. It's just, it's just kind of who I am. I'm wired that way. That's what it sounds like to be an Adam. Kids, it sounds like this for you. Well, I'm just a high school senior. Come on, give me a break. Well, you know, I'm in college. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to do this stuff when I'm in college. See, 
When you argue from that standpoint, you are basically arguing from the standpoint of sin. That's what you identify with. This is who you used to be. That's not who you are. And, and, and when you argue from the standpoint of sin, you will lose that argument every time. When you start your argument with, well, it's just how I am, it's just how I'm wired, I mean, I can't help it, that's the way my mom was, it's the way my dad was, that's all I've seen my whole life. When you start your argument from that place, you're going to lose. And you're arguing from the standpoint of having been in Adam. Because you have identified with someone that you are not any longer. And somehow, the goodness and the righteousness of God stands apart from you, and you have somehow just continued to identify with sin. It becomes a whole different kind of struggle, though, when we talk about, and we're going we're gonna to look at this a little bit next week. I don't want you to miss next week. Uh, next week will make a lot of sense to you, I think. It becomes a, a completely different struggle when you struggle from the standpoint of, or you're identifying with, who 